Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Fake News Friday here on True North, swimming through the blizzard of lies, trying to make sense of it all and having a little bit of fun in the process. I am Andrew Lawton, joined as always by Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, how was the week? Pretty good, Andrew. I mean, we've got some we've got some hilarious stories to get into, some just I, I would say pretty emblematic of the state of legacy media right now. So it's, it's going to be a good show, but all in all, a pretty good week. We're kind of coming down off the Emergencies Act hearings, which uh, is a welcome relief. Coming down, you talk about it like it was just some big prolonged acid trip, but uh, <laughs> it might have been better and more tolerable if it were. I, I, I think we're going to start with a bit of a victory lap here because I, I think we can claim some vindication, even not True North directly, but I think in general, the issues that we talk about with this debate that took place uh, Wednesday night in Toronto, the Monk debate, which if you've never been, they're very well put together. They debate really key issues. They bring out good people. And the debate was on the following resolution. Be it resolved, don't trust mainstream media. Uh, advocating for the motion, Douglas Murray and Matt Taby. Against it, Malcolm Gladwell and Michelle Goldberg. Now, the debate itself, you think, okay, what's the big deal? So what Monk Debate does, when you go there, everyone is polled on what they believe on the motion. When people walked in, pro, so in favor of don't trust mainstream media, 48%. Con 52%, so a pretty even split. The final vote, when they all left after the debate had taken place, pro 67%, con 33%. So the way you measure success in a monk debate is not by your final tally, but by the swing from the first tally to the end. So by the end of it, people were resoundingly in favor of this idea that the mainstream media cannot be trusted. I mean, it's 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 just a perfect visualization, Andrew. Those graphics. I think that of what we're seeing right now, why why we're seeing groups like True North grow and why we're seeing so much distrust in the legacy media. It's because even even when even when legacy media advocates are forced to try and defend themselves, forced to try and you know say to a group of people, well, yeah, you know, we know that people don't trust us anymore, but here's you know maybe why you should compared to these online news outlets. It, it's obvious that they're just losing their grip. Their control on the narrative, and it's it's just perfect. Andrew. I mean, the, the the monk debate social media account pulled quotes from the evening, and I just want to read a couple of them because it kind of shows you. I mean, I wish it was there. It just shows you what the what the what the argument was for people who were trying to defend the legacy media. It was it was almost embarrassing. I mean, the best one of the best quotes that they had all night, I guess, for the defense of legacy media came from Michelle Goldberg, the New York Times, the New York Times columnist. And she said, the mainstream media has gotten the big things right. <laughs> and the, I, I'm sorry, but <laughs> last I checked, throughout most of COVID, they didn't get most, they, they got most of that wrong. Uh, Freedom Convoy in Canada, they got most of that wrong. How much have they gotten wrong? Hunter I mean, Biden's laptop. Well, laptop I mean, that was story, a deliberate, entire, deliberate the, subversion of it. The, exactly. The entire Trump-Russia scandal, which turned out to be a nothing burger, they were rolling, they were rolling with that for years. So for them to basically say, of, of the New York Times, the New York Times columnist standard to say, we got the big things right, it's, it's embarrassing almost. It's embarrassing. And if, that's, if that was their argument, and this is the result of it, Clearly, it didn't fly in the room. And, and just take a look at some of these quotes as well. Douglas Murray, who's from the UK, he's a great commentator. He came in and just basically laid it out for everyone in the Canadian audience. Just said, your mainstream media is funded by the government, a totally corrupted system. And 
Basically, the best that your side has been able to come up with so far tonight is to say, we get things wrong quite often, but you should trust us anyway. So <laughs> that's, exactly, that's basically it. That's, all they, that's really all they can offer, Andrew. It's embarrassing for yeah. them. I, I, I wasn't able to see the whole thing live, unfortunately, so I'm going to watch the video when it's posted. But a friend of mine who was there said that Douglas Murray actually talked about the Freedom Convoy in his comments and, and talked about how there was this divide between people that were reporting on the narrative they wanted to be true and those that actually went out and talked to people, people like Rupa Subramania, people like you and I, and a lot of others from, from different independent media outlets. And the thing that was interesting, and I, I don't want to generalize too much here, but the Monk debate is a downtown Toronto event. It attracts a lot of downtown Toronto elites. Now, they're obviously a type of elite that is okay to go into things with an open mind, but if you think of that context of it, the vote swing is particularly important. So this was like a group of downtown, well-to-do Toronto types that by the end of it were saying two, th two to one, yeah, we, we don't really trust the mainstream media. No, exactly. That's that's a, that's an important note to make. I mean, the monk debates are not are not you know I I would say likely. It's not like the Rebel News Live event I was no, at. No, exactly. Last week. Like, I was it's, not, say, it's not a not... really hard and fast like died in the wool like independent media rah rah uh, group. It's a, a group that is typically very much in that not Laurentian elites, but certainly the Toronto elite category. Well, yes, Andrew. They they are the Globe and Mail readers. They are the CBC lovers. I mean, I think that's a pretty safe assumption to make. And for Douglas Murray and for Matt. Taibbi, who Matt Taibbi is a, is an amazing journalist. I have to say, he's he you really can't pin him down one side or the other. He just tells it like he sees it. That's a very uh, it's a valuable asset to have as a journalist today because it's so it comes so far and few between. But uh, uh, you know that that's a really important note to make. The Monk debate was not full of you know I I would say I don't think it was a hundred percent True North uh, readers, Andrew. Uh, like I said, I think it's more Globe and Mail, CBC readers. Uh, legacy media, legacy media types who were there for an interesting conversation, and I think they really got something that was that was you know worth noting. I mean, look, it was another quote that's from Malcolm Gladwell in this that basically said, again, you just got to look at the social media account to see the, the quality of arguments that were being made. You could see Douglas Murray and Matt Taibbi really getting to the point, bringing up key examples of failure in the legacy media, and then the legacy media defenders were trying to just, you know, make these grand statements and say, well, it's not like, as apparently Malcolm Gladwell said, it's not like there are a bunch of uh, legacy media journalists getting into a room in the morning and discussing what the narrative is. I mean, I actually think that is what it is. <laughs> maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not true. But I, I, I don't get, to, I don't get a front row seat into the, you know, Globe and Mail editorial in the morning, uh, editorial meeting. But I am pretty sure actually that they do have a narrative, Andrew. They do stick to that narrative, and they just don't report things that don't that don't go in line with it. I mean, it's pretty obvious that's the case. Yeah, and you know, I will say that one of the great things about the monk debates is that people that go there, generally speaking, I, I think have at least a tolerance for the other side. And and this swing that we're seeing here has happened before. There was the famous one, I can't remember how long ago it was, maybe five, five six years ago, between Mark Stein and Nigel Farage on one side and Louise Arbour and Simon Shama on the other, and they were debating refugee policy. And like the room was stacked against Mark Stein and Nigel Farage, but by the end of it, the room had come around to their side because certain things, when people hear the facts and they hear them laid out, they realize there really isn't a compelling argument for it. And I think that line that Douglas Murray gave is quite a strong one that, yeah, we're say you're saying that you keep getting it wrong, but we should keep trusting you anyway. And Michelle Goldberg's view, well, yeah, we get the big thing. So you got to, but even then you don't. 
But even if you did, that's hardly the selling point you think. And I think one of the challenges here is that we're seeing increasingly this line that uh, some people attempt to draw between official or so-called real media and alternative and independent media. And, and we saw this in a, a roundtable that the Public Order Emergency Commission hosted this week. And you can take a look at the clip of this one particular comment here. So what we've seen is that more and more extremists, extremist groups use uh, what we call alternative media. Uh, my colleagues were talking about the social media, but more and more what we see are uh, fringe uh, social media that are emerging. And I don't want to advertise any of them, so I'm not going to give you uh, specific names. They were extremely present during the convoy in Ottawa, and we saw journalists uh, uh, so they're self-made journalists because anybody can proclaim that they themselves are journalists using uh, these uh, platforms. And uh, so uh, they were uh, producing re-information or alternative information on the events. So they were saying there were 100,000 people, uh, but you've seen the police reports even on a big day, there were about 10,000 people in Ottawa. And so that kind of in, that's the kind of information manipulation we see. But that is... Uh, a direct result of the distrust of uh, official media, but it's now widespread within the, the general pul um, public. And so these alternative media have emerged, and some have a lot of followers, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers, with, and they appear just as credible as mainstream media with reporters on site, on the ground. So. I think uh, I wouldn't call it a war, but there, there, uh, there is definitely a rivalry between these alternate media and mainstream media. And of course, uh, these media need funding and they do have access to substantial funding. So, I mean, what he's saying there, and this is a, a University of Sherbrooke professor who's on a harmful online content advisory board. So I think the bias is probably pretty inherently visible there. But uh, what he's saying is that extremist groups use alternative media. So anything that's independent, anything that's not on the government payroll is just some tool of radicals. Yeah, and, th and then in that clip, you can see as well, he makes the point about the, the growing rivalry between alternative media and legacy media and how these... these... Not, not much of a rivalry if the Monk debate results are to be trusted. Well, that's exactly right. And just, I, I would be so interested if we were able to take this question and, and, and take it outside of the downtown Toronto, you know, sort of Globe and Mail, CBC sphere of influence and really get a real consensus from Canadians about what they feel. I mean, I am absolutely not, I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of those results, but I have to say, I bet you some of the legacy media would be. It's interesting to note though, he says that there's a rivalry between the alternative media and the legacy media. And then he makes the point about how these alternative media sites, they have some, they have a large following. They have a really large following. And then, and then he also makes the point, Andrew, which is, I, I thought to be very interesting. He says they appear like legacy media journalists because they have reporters on the ground, on the scene. <laughs> and you were, at, you were at the Freedom Convoy, I was at the Freedom Convoy, and Rebel were at the Freedom Convoy, lots of independent media were there, among thousands of citizen journalists who were there with their own cameras telling the truth, not with the giant TV broadcast camera, the producer, the cameraman, the, uh, the, 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 the other producer, and then the journalist. The I mean, bodyguard. Right, exactly. You know, we didn't need a four-person team to just tell the truth, and the legacy media did. And I think what's really going on here is there's a, there, there's a kind of a, a, a growing concern 
from whether it be academia, these legacy media journalists about the fact that they once were able to have confidence that everyone who saw the world through their eyes, everyone who thought the same thing about the country, they could they could basically control who was a journalist. And the idea that the idea that people who were, you know, maybe not from the not from, you know, the the universities, not from the big media outlets could potentially be journalists scares them. And they want to do everything they can to villainize them to to basically say that they 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 attract extremists. They they're not telling the truth. He says that they, that they manipulate the information. That to me tells a lot about the fear that these people have on their on the narrative that they they no longer have access to the complete control of the narrative because groups like True North, other independent media outlets, and just the citizen himself with his camera are now doing a better job of telling the truth. That speaks volumes to me. Yeah, and I mean, I would just say to close on this, it, it's not a left right issue as well. There are lots of people on the political left that I, I think are also increasingly tiring of the mainstream media narrative, which is why when I say independent media, it's not about conservative media. I want more voices. I want more people in this space so that uh, consumers of media can decide things for themselves. And I think a case in point of this is this uh, Associated Press article, which uh, CTV picked up and a number of outlets around the world about China's COVID approach. Now, let me first off say that when you look at all these protests that are taking place in China right now, people are protesting policies that are rooted in China's zero COVID approach. This view that the Chinese regime has that one COVID case is too many. So they're using this to lock people in their homes, to do these incredibly draconian and Orwellian crackdowns, to uh, keep uh, COVID passes and vaccine mandates and passports going almost indefinitely. And the headline, China's zero COVID limits saved lives but there's no clear exit. So yeah, it's great at saving lives, but the problem is that they don't have an off-ramp for it. Nothing else is wrong with it. If they put in an end date, it would all be fine, is what they're saying. This goes right to the heart, Andrew, of why so many people are just sick and tired of the legacy media. I mean, they couldn't... If you read this article, it really just... It really just uncovers a lot about what the, what's really going on behind the legacy media narrative. They they first talk about how, you know, the zero covid policy of literally putting you forcing you to stay in your apartment in your massive high-rise building for months on end, you know, not being able to leave in in some cases welding your doors shut in in China. I mean, there are videos all over social media of of the Chinese police welding doors to apartments shut so that you can't leave. It's tyrannical. It's completely insane with their whole idea of trying to basically, like you said, stop any any case of COVID from entering the country. It's never going to happen. Everyone knows that it's a failed policy, but they're doing it anyway. So the article rides along the Chinese protest um, interest that's going around around the world. Everyone's trying to pay attention to what's going on. So this article picks it up and says, well, yeah, the zero COVID policy, it saved lives according to the Chinese Communist Party data, which again, if you take the Communist Party data, uh, you, you take that data at your own at, at your own peril. I mean, I, I I don't think you should trust that data for a second. They apparently had the low. The article pump, pumps up the Chinese zero COVID policy as well, saying, "Well, China's policy had the resulted in the lowest deaths per capita in the world." I mean, I don't believe that for a second. Personally, I'll leave that up to you, the viewer, to decide what you want to take of it. But then at the very end of the article, at the very bottom of the article, they kind of let the truth slip, and it ends up just being becoming. An advertisement for Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Who could have guessed, Andrew? Just look at this paragraph at the end here. Dr. Berat Pankania, an infectious diseases expert at the University of Exeter, said China should import mRNA vaccines made by Pfizer and, and Moderna. Uh, 
Sounds a lot like an advertisement for the vaccines, I have to say. I mean, it, it is pretty brazen. And then, and then at the end, he also says, this should not be about saving face. The Chinese population is clearly fed up with lockdown after lockdown, and the quickest way out is to immunize as fast as possible. So there you go, Andrew. Who could have guessed, actually? The policy is just to vaccinate and not to actually just call out what's really going on, which is tyrannical COVID policy that the Chinese people are clearly fed up with. Yeah, it, it also forgets that like all these Western countries like Canada that said you would vaccinate, vaccinate your way away from restrictions, kept restrictions in place long after uh, the vaccination rate got saturated to, you know, well over 80, pushing 90%. So absolutely absurd. And it, it's terrible that the media is not seeing through this. I mean, you could save a life, but if while saving a life, you are uh, trampling on everyone's civil liberties and making that life not worth living, which is what China's doing, you're not actually able to claim a win in my view on this. But uh, absolutely shameful that Chinese propaganda finds such an easy home in uh, legacy media outlets. Uh, we go to a bit of a fun, more fun one here. A legacy media journalist went clothing shopping, Harrison. Yes, Andrew, he went, he went, he went Christmas shopping, tried to get in on the early uh, deals. He found himself, and I, I really do feel bad for Glenn. He, he had to, he had to withstand some serious, some serious uh, danger here. He went to one of the outlets just outside Ottawa and take a look at what he was faced with. I mean, the absolute horror, Andrew, the absolute horror of seeing an Under Armour sweater with the word, wait for it, freedom with a Canada flag, Andrew. I mean, it's, it's bordering on hate speech. This is the kind of stuff I think that C11, the online, uh, all, all this legislation, the online hate speech bill that's going to come through, this is the kind of stuff that we need to censor because it's just too much to handle, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, Glenn McGregor, Ottawa journalist, went to the, I don't know if it's Tanger or Tanger or Tangier, or maybe it's in Algeria, I don't know. He went to this Tanger outlet store, outlet mall in Kanata, which is a, a suburb of Ottawa. He is uh, there, he sees this, and doesn't actually comment on why it troubles him. He, he plays it very smart. He just posts the tweet, he plays it straight, and then everyone immediately jumps on him as though he, he's effectively triggered by the word freedom. Now, here's the thing. Glenn McGregor covered the convoy, so I assume that what he's seeing there is that perhaps this is a nod by Under Armour to the freedom convoy. But the reality is the Under Armour Freedom Campaign has nothing to do with the convoy, nothing to do with Canadian politics. It is actually about veterans. It is a veterans initiative. Proceeds from the sale of Under Armour Freedom products go towards veterans who are fighting for freedom. But Glenn shares this, and here's just some of the response that he gets. Uh, Terry Hagen writes, wow, they just lost my business. Uh, Ms. T. Mick says, what? Honestly, I have to throw out so much now. Uh, Anne Bellissimo says, never buy it from that company again. Now, whether these people were um, Under Armour customers to begin with, I have no idea. But the point is, is that now people are whipped up into a frenzy based on what is a misrepresentation, tacitly anyway, of what this thing was. Because I, I don't have an easy time believing it was just being shared because he liked the pattern that was on it. I, I think the libs of TikTok response was my favorite here. This is hate speech, literally shaking. Did you survive? Yes, no, exactly. I mean, that's all you can really do when you look at something like this. It's absurd, Andrew. And I mean, it's, it's we've, we've reached a point now where the legacy media, Glenn McGregor being one of, being one of the, one of, one of the main offenders, in my opinion, because of the convoy, have been so shaken 
that the sight of the Canadian flag, and we know this to be true because the legacy media write articles about the Canadian flag all the time. The Canadian flag being a symbol of hate, being seen as a, as a freedom convoy symbol. It's a negative thing. The sight of the Canadian flag is, is, is horrifying to some of these people, let alone, Andrew, even worse, the word freedom on top of the Canadian flag. I mean, you can't even, you can't even begin to imagine how, how horrifying it must be for these legacy media journalists. But think about this. This all goes back to the conversation we started the show off with about legacy media and independent media. I, not, I, I don't for a second believe that the Canadian public seeing the word freedom and the Canadian flag are triggered, are, 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 are you know, are, are hit, with a, hit with a tsunami of phantom honking, Andrew, that they can't, they can't handle themselves. I mean, I don't believe that to be a, for, for a second, but legacy media journalists who've created their who created their sort of their information silo where they really believe this stuff. They believe the fandom honking. They believe the fact that the Canadian flag is seen as this, as this. They believe that freedom is now this fringe ideal. Right, exactly. They literally believe this stuff and then that becomes their reality. That becomes their truth. And there's just no way, there's no way that 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 is what the majority of Canadians really think of when they see the word freedom. There's no way that that's what the majority of Canadians think of when they see the Canadian flag. But you know, it takes a certain person, I really do believe this, to be triggered by the word freedom and a Canadian flag so much so that they'd be willing to embarrass themselves by posting it on social media. Um, you know, he didn't add context, but like you said, we all know what he's getting at here. It takes it takes a certain level of, of complete, you know, removal from, I believe, the n- normalcy, uh, real life, reality. To be willing to post something like this, totally absurd, ridiculous, and honestly, what else can you do other than laugh and just say, you know, you hope that, uh, you hope someone like Glenn can recover one day from this horrifying experience. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And you know what? We always have the quiet comfort of CBC to get us through the tough moments. Harris, why don't you take the lead on this one? Because I still haven't been able to figure out what on earth is happening. Well, for those of you that saw Ratio yesterday, I I brought this up as the Ratio of the Week Award. The the CBC Gem, which is the streaming service you have to pay more for because the $1.2 billion that we all pay the CBC <laughs> isn't enough to get... If, to if get, you felt they need more of your money, there yes. is an option. Yes. And, and to access such gems as this, I mean, you have to take a look at this. I won't even bother to try and explain it. All you got to do is just watch it. It's less than a minute. Do your best. We hope that you stick around after the next 56 seconds to hear our commentary on this because it is a bit, it is a bit difficult, but watch this. Sabi, are you listening to me? Sabi, are you listening to me? Totally. Then they said they're open to deepening their relationship with me at other galleries in the foreseeable future. And I was like, what does that mean? Are these Chia vulvas? So there I am thinking, I'm getting a very subtle brush off. And then they offer me, are you ready? Yep. You seem weird. I'm not. You sure? Yep. Berlin. They offered you the city in Germany? Da! That's Russian. To work at a gallery in the queerest city in the universe. Germany literally legalized a third gender option on birth certificates. Can you imagine curating there? Well, paid internshiping there? Sabi, I'm gonna have the most delicious orgy. God is like, good! Yeah, totally, Allahu Akbar. So, Andrew, I mean, uh, 
that is uh, that is comedy in the eyes of Canada's state broadcaster. They've got 1.2 billion dollars to work with. Some of that is some of that I presume goes to salary. Some of that I presume goes to their news coverage, which is pitiful. But you have to imagine a good amount of money goes to the comedy uh, wing of the CBC, um, and this is what they come up with: a story, a, a comedy bit about Chia Volvas, if I'm getting that right. The show is called Sort of. And the dialogue where they where they kind of just slip in the the Germany being the queerest country in the world. They legalized a third gender on the birth certificate. And how this woman says, I'm going to Germany. God is like, great. And then the other person says, Allahu Akbar. Like, oh my God, it's so hilarious. I mean, that's just, just brilliant stuff, Andrew. Tr totally, totally brilliant. And, uh... I mean, I, I'm not even going to try and bother to add even more context. Just I, let me I actually, I actually love this in a way. And the, the point that I made on Twitter when I saw this is that you know everyone jumps up and down on Pierre Polyev for talking about defunding the CBC, but I feel CBC makes the most compelling arguments for uh, defunding the CBC when they publish stuff like this. So here's the thing: I'm not actually a prude. I don't care about Chia. I believe Volve is the proper plural. If my Latin is correct, it's you know vu. L-V-A-E, although that probably is not the most important point about it all. In any case, I feel like like I don't actually care about the bit. I, I, I care that Canadians don't have to support it or not support it like they do with any private sector thing. Like if True North, for example, were to pivot from uh, Fake News Friday and The Andrew Lawton Show and Ratioed, and instead do something like uh, this, the audience would be the one that had to decide if it was worth supporting us in continuation or not. CBC fails or succeeds uh, ratings-wise. It doesn't matter. They still keep getting the money, and typically they get more of the money. So uh, take from that what you will, and know that the queerest gallery in the world has uh, Chia Vulva. So maybe that was actually the reboot of The National. You never know. Uh, that does it for us. You can catch Harrison on Ratio. You can catch me on The Andrew Lawton Show. And you can catch us both next week on Fake News Friday. Thank you, and have a great weekend.